The Boldly Now Show, Burning Desire, Big Ideas, Bold Action. Uh, this is Michael Sean Conaway with Boldly Now with Rachel Morrison and Samantha Sweetwater. Uh, we're here to talk a little bit today about how do you get into action about all the things that you care about? Um, you know, there are things going on in the world that are really confronting and, and, and give us a lot of pause of like, wow, I'm living in this world that has uh, these fragile systems and things seem to be breaking down around me. Uh, how do I do something more than just sit here and feel that? How do I get into action? What do I get into action on? Uh, what's important in the world? What's needed? So we're going to try to give you some support with that. And uh, we're starting today uh, with Samantha Sweetwater, who has a, um, a thought leader in this area uh, and somebody we're really excited to have on the show. Welcome, Samantha. Thank you. Um, so like, this, just starting with you right now, like, you know, the, the, it seems like for many years we've been talking about some of the, the systemic fragilities that, that, uh, that arise and, and looking at maybe what are some alternative systems or ways of approaching that. Um, and, and as at the same time kind of predicting some of these uh, breakdowns, uh, obviously predicting things like pandemics, uh, social unrest, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how is it, what has happened for you as we've gone from like, it almost seems like we were preparing for this moment to now we're in this moment. Yeah. You know, like what's happened for you and how is how has the world changed for you since we've um, we've kind of been confronted by the reality of what's going on? There's a lot of answers to that question. I think the first one is, uh, is just the recognition that there is a group of people who were designing for this moment and the time after it. I'm amongst that group of people you are our colleague Daniel Schmachtenberger, many people have been sort of saying, all right, we're going to hit this um, chaotic node. We're gonna go through some major, major, major multi-layered shakeup and that, that shakeup is gonna be our opportunity. And um, so I think, I mean, I think one thing that has shifted for me has been simply shifting the narrative from this is how we prepare for that moment to like, all right, now we're in it. And the, the structure of action has changed, the structure of narrative has changed. And I think a piece of that is starting with a really, really rigorous acknowledgement that we actually are in the great transition right now. And we don't really know how long the timelines will be. And we don't really know how many waves of this great transition there will be. But one, it starts from a, a skill set, kind of a mindset that's a recognition that we've actually now entered the portal of greatest opportunity and also greatest crisis that's real for billions of people. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, that's what shifted with, for me. Major things have shifted from like putting my life on timelines that <laughs> had long durations to being in constant emergence and constant response. And I... I know that that's true for you as well and for Rachel as well. And just setting down like the way I thought I wanted it to be or thought it was going to be and instead being incredibly, um, very deeply in listening um, and attunement and in counsel with circles of trusted uh, sense making with other people and then being in action in a way that's really responsive to need. Um, and the, the fourth piece of that that comes up is around 
being in action that's actually really in integrity with myself because that's the piece that gets that I, I think we'll probably unpack more but the piece that gets very difficult to calibrate sometimes is wow everything is calling on me and what is mine to do and so there's this constant calibration of like more listening more responsivity more willingness to actually just be useful where i can be useful and 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 yet this constant deep cycling into what is mine to do and then i would add a fifth piece which is um a constant recentering in the way i've been working is on a long timeline of like if we look at a 300 ish year timeline for what it would take to have a thriving human civilization in alignment with nature and consciousness at least 300 years into the future and to back engineer my current choices gently from there because there's so many things we've been habituated to even in our dreaming that is so out of integrity with a thriving future so there's also this um even for me, and I've done a lot of work to make myself into a person who could live in that thriving future, there's still a constant recircling of, um, is this systemically aligned? And I'd love to unpack that more today too. Yeah, I think you just, what you, to me, two things that you said really um, resonate is, is very, very strong currents. One is there's lots to do. There's lots, there's lots going on that obviously is not working. And there's lots of places we can jump in and try to lend a hand or help or in, in, and we should always be ready for that. I mean, somebody knocks on your door and needs help. You, we, go, we go to help. But as far as our, our long-term objectives and actions, how do we keep them aligned with our own purpose or our own gifts or what we're here to do? And then how do we keep them in, aligned with that, that deep thriving future? That's, that's big. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm super confronted by sexism and racism everywhere we go right now. And in fact, we were working on a landing page for a site today and every single photograph we found that was the right kind of photograph vibe wise was of a white guy. And, and yes. like, how do we, like, I'm so confronted by the world in which I'm living versus the world in which we're, we're trying to grow to uh, that even sometimes maybe the action, maybe to pick up and try to call a photographer and say, could you please shoot some badass, you know, woman of color doing cool stuff <laughs> um, because we, we can't find images. Um, so it's, it's, but without that mirror, without that thriving future mirror or uh, the, the internal guidepost of being uh, aligned around your purpose or what you're here really to do, those, those things can become, um, can become crippling. We end up, we end up kind of frozen. And so, uh, you know, the question is, you know, for me and Rachel to you is, is like, what are some practices or things that we can think about to get us anchored in, you know, what is, what is a thriving future in alignment with the planet and consciousness as you said it or or what are some ways we can get into checking in with ourselves that help us to, to at least have some lens those seem some things they be ideal topics that maybe maybe our audience is really confronted with right now and i i think people are craving that a little bit more clarity yes of course a hundred percent i think that uh what you said there noticing that it didn't exist and feeling the impulse to create it is the first step, a hundred percent, especially when you know the future that you're choosing to orient yourself to has not been created yet. Right. It doesn't exist yet. And so the bold now statement that we can lean into with all of our capacity, all of our intelligence and all of our compassion is 
to acknowledge that there's a huge discrepancy right now in what is here now and what is there to build into. And as Samantha was saying, then begin to reverse engineer that in a way that feels good, wholesome, and the next courageous step that I would say even scares you just a little bit to lean into, right? It, and for the one that you were talking about, Michael, about the pictures, that's not, that's not like a huge courageous step, but it's absolutely something that's needed. But then there's the other pieces that are just a few layers deeper, as Samantha was saying, that um, give us the place to not just be bold, but to be brave mm -hmm. into the world that we choose to create together that comes from the highest place of our um, self sense-making of it all and our collective sense-making. And then to lean into the sense-making of how we as a planet choose to evolve into our next iteration of life. Yeah, so we, if anybody's watching this, uh, msc at bold.ly, if you're a photographer that's, that's uh, interested in, in, you know, trying to help us to, to have images that are, are you know, not, uh, uh, you know, biased towards, towards the patriarchy, towards uh, whiteness. Um, you know, we want to we wanna celebrate diversity and, and beauty in, in, in many, many ways and boldness in any way. So msc at bold.ly, if you're a photographer. And, and you know, I think that's a great what that that little that little dance we just did is a great example, though, of how we change the world, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, we notice a gap, and then we make a request, uh, and and then we then then we and sometimes the request is small, like what I just made, and sometimes it's marching on Washington, you know, or <laughs> uh, you know, doing something bigger. And it's trusting what shows up too. Yeah. Right. Whoever makes a response into that giant request to the universe to create something new, fully trusting it completely. Like moving at the speed of trust would be great for us to actually unify again. Yeah, great. For the first time even. And knowing that, that there's a photographer out there where or many photographers out there that that are that already had that sentiment. And I, I occurred to me like in that moment too, like, oh, it's not just that that. Uh, I'm looking for an image or a, a style of images and I'm finding a sea of, of you know, the dominant culture images. It's that uh, people who are looking for images are looking for dominant culture images and photographers are shooting images that they know that that will feed that, you know, that's how they'll, that's how they'll work. Oh my goodness, it means our whole methodology of valuing somebody's work is biased. Um, my creative product, what work product is biased if I want to actually be successful in the in the economic marketplace of today, I actually have to parrot the bias to win. And that gets well, us some deeper level stuff. <laughs> it's huge. And I, I think we have a huge opportunity right now, particularly as it pertains to the voices of black indigenous and people of color. And the, the hashtag came out two weeks ago about of amplify melanina melanated voices. And I've just been using the hashtag amplify and, and then my whole strategy, one of this, uh, my whole strategy shifted to listen and, and recognize that often the voice that I'm seeking to speak is actually already being spoken by someone else. Right. And mm -hmm. it's been this incredible reconfiguration. And I think this is particularly true for any person in any colored body who has been at the top of a power at, at a higher 
level of the power hierarchies on our planet, which comes with an identity structure that says, I can do this, and it's about my voice, and, and a lot of confidence about that. Mm-hmm. So just the practice of listening and actually amplifying through other people's voices and, and language structures, the things that you would also like to see said right now, is it's a profoundly alchemical transformational practice because it, it dissolves the, the dominator identity structure that says, I should be the one to say this, or I have this to say, therefore you say it. There's no, there's no critique in that, but it takes on a critique that assumes that your voice is already dominant and then allows other voices to shine with your backing. And it's just one of the most profound practices that I've identified in this. And, and then I think men can do that for women really consciously. Yeah. And, and in so doing, we actually shift. We, I, I actually believe that if we all took on, if, if the community of thought leaders that we are a part of and collectively connected to took on a strategy of pause, listen, amplify, mm-hmm. that was designed to fundamentally shift the face of who is heard Mm. that it would be super confronting for those of us who are used to being heard but in the best possible way and we would actually succeed at putting forward the messages that need that actually do need to be heard right now because it turns out that being lower on the power hierarchy also makes you a better listener and it makes you more omni-considerate to more people's needs, to the ecosystem's needs. It, often those two things come hand in hand. So it's just, it's, it's a strategy I wanna recommend to like our, all, our, the global community of current thought leaders. Just shut up and amplify. <laughs> and it's amazing what happens. I totally agree with you, Samantha. I'm remembering one of those talking circles that I was in where the microphone was not passed to that person who raised their hand. It was passed to who was like in that deep listening space and then gave it to someone who maybe wasn't expecting to be given that microphone at that time to let the wisdom of the collective come through and just trusting that that because so so many times especially people who are um used to having that spotlight as you were saying um always have that next piece at 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 the forefront of of their thought and their consciousness and i think right now we're in a time where it's not about um empowerment because empowerment just leads to another layer of discrepancy right i have the ability to empower you doesn't actually exist but what we can do is like you said come into that deep space of sharing and listening and then um, gently leaning in together from a place of we are actually doing this together. So what does this conversation look like when it's all one voice? Wow, uh, thank you for that. Uh, Anna, you know, it's, like, it's, really, it's really funny. I'm having, uh, I'm having the experience of what you're talking about as you're talking about it. <laughs> and, and then, and I just, I think, um, I've, I've been doing a lot of work around this for many years. And I, and, I, and I think for men, and sometimes either for men that have been dominant in their worlds or their fields or their business, or men that are younger, that don't yet quite have a, a sense of their own, maybe um, like power that's appropriate, 
versus not versus power over. And I think, um, you know, I think it can be very confronting for men. And I, it, one thing that uh, a native elder uh, uh, taught in a circle I was part of that stayed with me for many, many years is that he says uh, um, uh, that, that the buck leads from behind, that the, that the, 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 the deer go out and forage and go forward, uh, but the buck kind of stands in a high position to watch over and raise alarm if there's a need for alarm. Otherwise, you don't hear from them. And, uh, you know, like it just got to me, it's like, oh, I can lead from the front. And most men know how to lead from the front. We're trained to do that from very early age. Or we can learn to lead from behind, which means that we're still being leaders. You know, it's just we're not we're not visible in the same way. Uh, and then we're holding space versus leading a charge or, you know, all those kind of militaristic or warlike um, 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 Digital metaphors that seem to come so well to leadership and especially to male leadership. You know, we're still we're still out fighting wars, and at least with our language, when there's really for most of us there's no wars to be fought. Um, and so I think, um, you know, if you're out there and you're a man and you're grappling with this a little bit, you're grappling with, first of all, probably feeling you know a little a little pain and conflict about you know what it means to be a man and, and what that can be as a perpetrating effect. It doesn't mean you, you need to stop being a leader. It just means you might need to lead from a different position in the room. And with that, I'll turn it over to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I would love to recircle with the, the kind of questions you're feeling are really poignant today, Michael, so we can uh, please lead from behind. <laughs> like giving some shape to the conversation. So if I'm a, if I'm in the audience and I'm, I'm, feeling a lot of emotion and, and, and wanting to get out there and do things, how do I know what it is that I, how do I know to kind of get oriented around what to go do, uh, what is mine to do? Uh, and, then, and then how do I get out of the thinking about it action into the doing, like just trying something? We don't, we don't, we don't and I'm not saying like being succeeding at something, but actually just getting into action and doing something. I, I think that for, for one, we're not deer. Uh, so let's start there. We are human beings that have a creative impulse and that see, a, a hopefully, um, I don't necessarily know if it's a larger perspective than a deer because I've never talked to one, you know, one-on-one, -on -one. but I would say that I think it's leading side-by-side -side yeah. in a unified front and in synchronous flight together. And that means that, you know, with, when birds take in that synchronous flight, that it's not just from behind, nor is it just from the front. It's um, trusting the embodied leadership of everyone in the cluster. And right. that you know that when it's your time to go into the spearhead of whatever the action is, it's yours to do and to own fully and you're backed up by some amazing people in the world that completely have your back. And mm -hmm. when it's time for someone else to lead, you're like, oh my God, thank you. Thank you, please. And let me ride on the, the curtails of your wind for a moment while I catch my breath or, you know, there, there, there's a relay here that I think we're all wanting to engage in and begin to participate in again, where it's not all resting on one person's shoulders or one collective's shoulders. That's the point of oneness 
is that it's on all of us. And then in that, like a geodesic dome, the weight begins to distribute equally. And then it can be a lot bigger and a lot more efficient. And it can have a longer um, test of time because of the innate structure that it's been given and the trust in that to fully grow, develop, and continue to emerge. Amen. Love that. So don't worry. You're not, you don't have to go from behind or the front or the side. It's all there. Just wherever I happen to see my, be, be at the moment. I get, uh, that's great. Um, and so there are certain things that in, a, in our, our actions to, to try to move towards a thriving future that we're participants and other things where we're leaders. Um, and I think, I mean, obviously not everybody's gonna have some earth changing idea or, or initiative or project or nonprofit or business. Um, so a part of it then is how do we distinguish, you know, which, what are the things that we want to to lend our, our energy to in the world? How do we know that something's actually going in the right direction? What do you guys see about that? Well, I think that there, I think there's a hard and fast piece around the future as I see it, mm. as I see it, is that there will not be a thriving future for humanity separate from thriving of our ecobios field. Mm -hmm. And that in order to, um, create a world where all people belong and where we belong coherently to the greater body that supports our lives, the greater organism of the planet, the, the game dynamic of what we do has to be win-win. Right. So that's a really, really helpful, like super useful thought is just as a, as a strategic ethical both strategic and as an ethical guideline about what to do and what not to do. Mm. And I think that, that that's a great place to start when you're like, well, what do I do now? And when there's so much need in the world, you can look at how to apply your creativity to that need in a way that is win-win, you know, that, that profits for yourself, that profits for people, that profits that, that at least does not decimate the ecosystem that that service is based on and in. And um, that that's, that's one of the foundational pieces. And I, I think that right now also, I mean, there's, there's such a rising of community-based solutions that are very omni-win, they're very win-win. And often not working inside of normative economic structures, but in these cobbled together trade-based um, or like quick reconfigure, reconfiguration of where cash flows were going kind of way that, that is amazing. Like in the Bay Area, for example, there's been a big reconfiguration that's gone very fast around CSAs mm -hmm. of moving food to direct to consumer models and making use of like the biggest CSA hub in the Bay Area through to offer it to a whole bunch of other farms. And then the distribution network is community-based. Right. And people aren't making money in that distribution network, but they're getting what they need and sustaining a long-term resource, which is our existing organic farms which would have all gone under as businesses if that reconfiguration didn't happen. And that took a lot of people being like, I don't know how to do this. I'm like a low income person who lives in Oakland and just really likes eating organic food, but I really care about this. So, so that's, a great, that's a great example of like, 
you know, that network, I was in that conversation at a point at which we were like, um, is there any way to develop an app around this? And just like the kind of sideways networking that's needed to create community-based solutions and throw in your skills into the pot. I mean, I think that's gonna only increase. Um, what happened with the Trump rally was an amazing community source, like example of that. Like through TikTok, a bunch of young people totally trumped the Trump rally. Like that's a win-win solution that like moved non-linearly through a huge community of people in a super resilient way. So I feel like um, there's that dimension of the solutions that we need that they're win-win. And yeah. It just occurred to me that like with CSAs, they were an, kind of an alternative economy already. They, they weren't picked as a winner actually by our dominant economy. Like what was picked by a winner was massive organic farms that show up in Kroger's, right? So who could, who could go from you know, organic used to be small family farms mostly to like big agribusiness getting involved. And, and that old system is based upon efficiency of distribution, right? How can you move the most product to the most stores and sell the most heads of lettuce is how that, that whole system was, was designed. And of course we end up with species of, you know, like monocultures of, of plants instead of millions of kinds of lettuce, we end up with three or four. And CSAs were always in the background as a like an alternative to that system that, you know, when I know a lot of organic farmers here in Colorado, they, they just barely make it and they're charging more for their produce. So they're less efficient, but they're just barely making it. And then you're right. Then when, when the, when the dominant system breaks down for getting food to people, and in case you guys don't, you know, haven't talked about it out there in the audience, you know, they're with, we, we have food going to the waste all over the United States because it can't get to the people who are hungry. Why can't it get to the people who are hungry? Because the dominant distribution networks that were designed for efficiency weren't designed to be broken. Uh, they don't have, they didn't have net, network uh, stability. They didn't have a, a sense of anti-fragility in the way there was to uh, re-heal the network and get food flowing versus the CSAs and these kinds of alternative things too. So maybe we should be looking for, like how do we invest our time in things that are, aren't, are, aren't the winner in the old system? that aren't actually dominating the winning in the old system and, and, and then give some of our life's blood, money, time to those systems. That, that's a great example. I had, I have a, we have an example here in Colorado of a, a local organic farm that was big in the, uh, the, the uh, farmer's market movement. They have uh, farm to table restaurants as well. They just took a building on their farm and then they started bringing produce in from all the other farmers and people started going to buy uh, the stuff there from all these, from all kinds of different farms, not just their farms. So they were investing in the economic interests of many of the, the local organic farmers. So that's a really great example. Um, and then I think, I think you know, um, the youth are showing us a little bit from from activism. I've watched all the climate activists now are out marching for Black Lives Matter. Like they're already geared up to to be active, and they but they don't. They're not. Um, they're not stuck on their message. And I think that's also been a really beautiful seeing of like how the network responds to things um, and does it because it, it kind of grew up alongside these kind of uh, more dominant models of, you know, having things go the way you want them to go, <laughs> uh, which we know, you know, in politics and, and information spreading is, is, uh, uh, is pretty biased. Um, great. So then, then, you know, you know, looking, I want to just kind of look inside a little bit as I'm looking inside my heart and my, my, like where I want to put my voice to, 
you know, like what are some of the ways that I can tune into whether something is mine to get involved with? Um, what do you think about that, Samantha, Rachel? Yeah, um, so I think I'd like to touch on a couple of the pieces that you mentioned in, in the previous comments that you had. And it lends back to what Samantha first started this conversation with, was this uh, immense amount of chaos and opportunity that are lending themselves into this now moment that we're all experiencing that can lead to a greater sense of mobilizing community. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned how the, um, the, the farming and the CSAs um, are coming together in unexpected ways right now because of this chaotic experience that we're having that lended the opportunity that created more gravitas towards a movement. And the same with the children or young people that are moving from movement to movement as well. And what a fantastic opportunity it is for us to begin to realize that the only way out of a point of um, separation in all of this is to really claim our sovereignty in how we choose to shape the structures of our community, particularly you know, with this CSA piece around the proprietary consumption of how we expected to get our goods and what we are finding is a better way to receive what it is that we need that will require more organization like the apps that you spoke to, like the other types of intelligent structures that are going to be put in place here that already exist at small level levels with the way showers that have been doing this for some time, some decades even, even you know longer than that if we really wanted to look further, but um, reclaiming and reintegrating into structures that didn't need um, high levels of consumerism or any of the other isms that we're now facing of today. And so when I look at what's mine to do, I'm looking right outside my window. I'm looking right outside of my immediate sphere of influence and saying, what is it that I have intrinsically that I've been working on and cultivating for my life this far, thus far that can lend a true goods and service to a larger collective if I joined with them to amplify said vision or said message or said opportunity in collaboration, true collaboration that can then synergize with a larger narrative. Yeah, great. Samantha? Well, to, to that was beautiful, Rachel. Thank um, you. To shift to the question, and the question you just put out, Michael, around how do you decide what is yours to do um, on the internal? I mean, on the external, we can look out and we can say, I think it's important to look at what's broken and what is poignantly broken for you personally, like what keeps you up at night, what bothers you in terms of your health, your children's education, your medical opportunities or not opportunities, your um, access to good information inside of our extremely broken information ecology. Like what really bothers you, makes you super pissed off, super angry, super rageful, um, and keeps you up at night. And then what do you most love? You know, what What actually calls you in the place of most exquisite beauty, whether that's your relationship with rivers or your relationship with a particular species or your 
relationship with um, with children or with um, with a vision with a vision of the future or with a particular like with shamanism with science itself or a particular kind of science and so like at that intersection is such a deep listening around what's calling you and then I think you you um, you have to take the space to be in vision with it you know and listen into that the, the internal um, light and shadow that moves you and then also listen to the external the calling of the world mm -hmm. and i think it is a time when we need to be really wise to the calling of the world and in some ways there's a certain way that sometimes you have to take a couple days and turn off the news and decontract your nervous system tune your vagal nerve come back into your body come back into breath because the calling is so loud and it's also so hot and it is filled with rage and it is filled with unresolved histories and those those unresolved histories and that rage they want to light up so they want to light fire to cities and that that is an action but it's not ultimately a very effective purposeful action it, it, we could actually view that as a collective ceremony, but it's not, it's not a generative action. It's not purposeful in the sense of actually serving a forward driving better world for whatever was and is broken. And so there's, there's that dimension of really taking the time to come from a place of elevation and um, centering in yourself in that listening and then like Rachel said, there is like, I like to look at it like there's these valences that we've, you know, the entrepreneurial paradigm is a certain way of looking at like, what's an unmet niche in the marketplace, but like deconstructing that and saying like, what's an unmet niche in my neighborhood or what's an unmet niche in, um, in my country that is actually about, you know, a movement that isn't here that, or that needs my voice or you know, that needs Boldly Now's commitment to being bold now in action. Like Boldly Now is such a great um, example of an answer to that, what is needed now that I can do, that we can do. So, and looking at that in a different, different kinds of holons of scale of community need and ecological need and uh, need in collective consciousness. Um, my personal example is I've, I've gotten way more committed to manifesting the church that I'm building. That's a narrative in service to the one life we all share. That's, a, that's also an evolutionary narrative about what a person is and that the destination isn't enlightenment, but it's enlightenment. And it's the restoration of our intimacy with and belonging to life. And, but it's hard to stay focused on that because there's so many other really hot needs. So we think it's an, it's an interesting time for that. Yeah, we, we've been working on, and uh, we'll be announcing, I think later this week, uh, a free course, it's called Pathway to Purpose, um, to try to, to just start to uncover this, this spot. You know, like how do you go from these burning desires to having a clear, not even a clear vision of what you want to create in the world, but just a clear vision of, of you know why you're here in any regard, and it could even be why you're here for this month or this this period of time. You know, it doesn't have to be like some big lifelong thing, but it seems to be a, a 
seems to me that it's a practice that we don't have a huge amount of competency in, in, in the West, especially we, we have competency in trying to figure out how we can make a living or have competency into what will make us feel good. I would say not happy, but what would give us a, a momentary high. We've, we've, we're pretty good at that. Um, but we don't have a lot of practice in like clarifying purpose or clarifying uh, importance. Um, and I, I don't think it's not because human beings aren't built for that, because I think we're totally built for that. I just think we don't invest the time in it. And so a lot of what we're trying to do with Boldly Now is give some people some time to work through these questions of what's important and what's important to me and what's important now, what's important in the world and, and where do those cross over? Um, because it's hard, to, it's hard to act in a reacting world when we're being kind of pushed around. I mean, think about the transition from uh, the, the struggle with, with uh, uh, you know, uh, COVID-19 and, and, you know, being sequestered or being, being, you know, told to stay at home to starting to come out of that. And then um, the uprising starts happening, you know, around police brutality. And I think we all felt kind of like knocked about, knocked about by the waves a bit. Um, but I know speaking for myself, I was immediately able to, to, to dive into what my purpose is on in service to the liberation of the greatness of beings. It's like, okay, what is the most liberating thing I can do right now? What is the thing that I can get into that? And it was only because I had that as a, as a framework for myself to be able to see out into the world was I able to take clear action versus just be in reaction. Um, and, and so it's, it's a, such a simple thing to do is to go through and clarify a statement about who we are. Uh, as far as the, the steps, we just need to have time to do it. And then once we've done that, then we have, a, a, we have our own ally, our own internal ally or compass in knowing what to do. And you were, you're speaking about the church. I know that's something that's taken a long time for you to, to get to. I mean, that's, a, that's an initiative based upon who you are in the world. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to encourage people that these are journeys that don't happen overnight. You're not going to pick them up at the grocery store. They're not on the newsstand. They're not part of your, your Facebook feed. <laughs> it requires a different kind of orientation in life. Yeah, and I think that, um, one, you're spot on. And this also lends to thinking about what is it and how is it to create from that level of selfhood? And when we started this conversation, uh, it was mentioned about like reintegrating back into nature or as nature, as the planet. And these emotions that I think that come up for a lot of us are actually the messages that we are tapping into that go well beyond our own emotional capacity. And I don't want that to be overlooked because it's so important uh, in, in the being of who we are, but it's also indicators of the larger world in which we're participating in that are calling the best of our intelligence, the best of our creatorship, the best of our emotional capacities to turn on and find new ways to innovate and collaborate so that we can then have the celebratory experience of knowing what victory truly feels like as an emerging humanity set forth to create in omni compassionate and omni revered ways for the for the world and when we get into that place there there's there's a sensing from 
the larger emotional self that we begin to find what our identified truth is to that, we begin to speak that into life and try it out in those sense-making circles that Samantha was speaking to, and then allow a purification process to come to take place. When true sense-making takes place, there's a natural occurrence that wants to happen when we are removing ourselves from the ego thought of what it is that we thought we wanted to do and create and come into a place of accountability with what's really wanting to be created and then step into that courageously then to create that new world confidently and i think that's such an important practice for people to do over and over and over again and check in with ourselves and our own internal check and balance systems as we continue to lean into this together to see what it's like to um, be fully creative in a new way with new people that's an ever-expanding field yeah um say, say a little bit more about like the difference between doing something because it looks good or makes me feel good and being truly oriented absolutely yeah that's part of the purification process that clarifying process that um that we spoke to earlier when we tap into um like all that is, let's say, and our emotional capacities are um, our inspiration points of interest that we really feel like are ours to do, right? Sure, we can always like think through, but it's a lot nicer sometimes and a lot more graceful, if you will, to think. And what were what were your steps, Samantha? Think, pause, and then pause, listen amplify that was for the amplify there you yeah. go. so pause listen amplify like my version of that is to think well connect think and then speak into existence with other people in that sense making opportunity of community right like checking those chaos opportunity community structures right that that amplification is the the tangible essence of building what that community is and then knowing that what you thought you thought might not actually be the case when it's turned into a place of a clarifying field, mm -hmm. right? And actually come into a stronger synthesis of what your own thinking was when it's met with the world that you are creating with and then choosing to create from that place with people knowing that you have more confidence in it because it's not just a good idea that you thought of, it's a good idea that's backed up by that synchronous flight of people that are backing you up to then step into that leadership place to go full out. Yeah, great. And and Samantha, uh, you know, like building on what, what Rachel said there, you know, like, okay, once we've kind of clarified something and we know what we want to amplify, when we're out there in action, uh, how important is it like how or how do we find out whether our actions being effective like what what are some of the the things we should look for to see if hey the things we're doing are actually affecting the change that that we wanted to affect when we started and what what is that piece because i think i think a lot of times we just think if we just go do something it'll help how do we get to know whether what we're doing is actually making an impact or having an effect or that the intended effect may be even important more important yeah I mean, I think a piece of it is about being very open to feedback loops that that when you create purposefully, there's there's an initial process that there, and there's a dimension of that initial process that is solo and there's a dimension of it that is in group. Mm. And then there's kind of looking at 
sometimes it's just about taking a next step and sometimes it's about creating a more strategic plan and enacting that. And then there's the phase of feedback and being really open to that feedback. And that feedback can be so varied depending on what the thing is. It can be that you thought, you know, a million people were gonna watch your broadcast and you had 10,000. Um, <laughs> it can be that, you know, I did a thing just recently where I did almost no marketing and I had a huge response. And, and that was incredibly good feedback that it was what people wanted and needed. And I've kind of gotten a constant feedback loop there. It's been hard to get negative response about that one, but I've been trying, like, where could I upgrade? And I still haven't gotten any feedback, which in and of itself is feedback. So I think, I think there's a huge openness to that. I mean, the other piece that just uh, as Rachel was speaking, I was thinking, well, what does this process, this group process look like practically speaking for people right now? And um, I wanted to speak to that a little bit more directly because I think right now it's a very important time to kind of act on a sovereign level, but it's also a really important level to act in different dimensions of group. And COVID especially like really decimated the normative ways of us experiencing connection for, for almost everybody. Um, it also is that combined with our broken information ecology is huge. So then you can look at like, in terms of assessing action, I, what I've done personally is that I have a couple different circles, one of which is more about who in my local Bay Area wide community do I like really trust and just want to connect in with somewhat regularly to ask, hey, what are you up to? And this is what I think I'm doing. And do any of these things dovetail? Um, and doing that on a more local level. And then I have a couple different circles that meet virtually that meet both to do collective sense making, like what do you think is really going on and what do you think is really important right now? And that I do that with a group that's diverse enough, but also homogenous enough that there's, that there's coherent shared sense making. And then on like a tertiary level, I'm part of one very large global council. And then I come to things like this right. as a way to tune in. And I think that all three of those processes are really important to the creation process because we really are living in a totally broken information ecology. So how we're collectively, how we're as creators, we're making sense of our actions as we're doing them is, is a, a kind of a new, it's a new playing field. But it also takes us back to really ancient patterns. And it's cause it's like a, it's like an ancient future version of the tribal council. Yeah which is so cool. And now we, you can do it locally and you can do it virtually and you can do it planetary virtually. And that's a totally new thing. And that's really healthy because it helps us to kind of go, hey, do you guys think that what I'm doing right now is like aligned with my, my soul? Right. And your friends can be like, no, you're smoking it. <laughs> yeah, that's, we're so excited. We've been waiting for to see you do that. What do you need to have it happen in an even more graceful way? I want to just point out for our listeners, uh, if, if you're not familiar with some of these ideas like broken information ecology, um, you know what what's happened to news, if you will, is that uh, we've we've created smaller and smaller segmentations of conversations, 
that are that are not only just biased, but they're biased towards very specific ends. So people are using and communicating about things to have an impact upon you, to influence your view on things or influence uh, influence your actions. And what's happened is that it's gotten to the point where um, our technology, Facebook, for example, supports us hearing one version of the world over and over again, uh, one view of the world over and over again. And what that does is it damages our capacity to actually make sense of the world because we're not getting, we're not only not getting all of the facts, we may not be getting any of the facts. Everything we may be getting is, is skewed and doctored towards us having a certain reaction or view. So, um, you know, that's like marrying news with advertising. Uh, we're, we're giving you, you know, tailor-made facts to have a tailor-made response. So if you find yourself, you know, confused by the news or confused by things that are coming at you, it's because they're trying to influence you versus inform you. And that's why the, the information ecology is broken. Everybody's using it to uh, get you to be motivated to have some kind of thinking or some kind of actions. So what do you do? How do you make sense of the world? And, and that's something that, that, you know, our larger group has been really, really struggling with. Uh, trying to figure out how to help people make sense. Part of that is to understand, you know, what Infowar is about and how you're, you know, you're kind of consuming propaganda, not news. Uh, and then the second is to try to uh, try to be unbiased, and that's really difficult. It's very difficult, you know. Even what we're talking about here, we're we are patently biased towards a thriving humanity and a, uh, a you know a, a balanced and healthy ecosystem. Uh, we're telling you that up front. Um, so uh, the the how do you get into better sense-making communities? Because you can't make sense, you can't make good choices. If you can't make good choices, then we can't actually live into any kind of future, um, or at least with any kind of sovereignty live into a future. We actually are living into somebody else's idea of what the future should be. So that's one piece. Um, the second thing I think is, is really important here is not only are, is it difficult to make sense of the world out there because it's it's, you know, it's broken or our information or the ability to make sense of it's broken. But we also have a, a, some difficulty overcoming our own biases. And so what's confronting about Black Lives Matter or even our views on, on uh, the environment, uh, uh, climate change is that we actually are, are conflicted internally as well. And so I think what you're talking about, Samantha, maybe even what we're demonstrating to a certain degree in this conversation here is how do we get together in groups and start to make sense of the internal information architecture and the external one, and then collectively have some ability to make some choices or take some actions. Um, I know that's important to you, especially that the narrative part. Talk to us a little bit about narrative and how that, you know, like how getting your hands on narrative or telling a story might impact these, uh, these broken information ecologies internally and externally. I, th I mean, we've inherited all kinds of stories about what, what a human is for and about, you know, what progress is and who gets to be in charge of the progress. And I've, I've personally been really passionate these days about um, telling the story of the world I actually want to live in. You know, and, and the life I want to live and what it looks like for me. And I, I already have, I'm already an auntie to children of many different colors. And I would like to have more children of many different colors in my life and in my future. And um, what it looks like, I think one of the pieces that we've really failed to flesh out with any real detail in our current culture is what it looks like to devote science, technology, education, economy, 
and governance to a thriving ecosystem, to a thriving planet for the purpose of humanity thriving. And that uh, I've been talking about that as a pr the principle of ubiquity that we actually haven't fully grokked yet. We haven't fully come to understand what we are as a unique organismic instance on the planet. There's no other organism that fulfills the ecological purpose or place. Actually, I should say there's no other organism that fulfills the ecological placement that we fulfill. And given that placement, we haven't yet come to terms with our purpose as a species, because given the place we hold in ubiquity as builder species, in the ecology, our purpose, therefore, is to co-create an awesome ecology. And that's, a, that's an ancient teaching that's often called original instructions. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also a very scientifically viable one. It's actually true to the science of ecology when you look at us as an instance of a unique kind of organism that would serve the same kind of purpose on any other planet where there was a complex builder species like ourselves. So. Um, Actually, that's a thought experiment from E.O. Wilson, who's one of the great evolutionary biologists of all times. So um, those stories need to be integrated into our dreams. And I think told boldly and um, in each person's unique narrative, um, the story of what it feels like to live in a world that is at peace. The story of what it feels like to live in a world where that we're not in comparison, where we're in mutual celebration, um, the story of what it feels like to live in a world where we have a, a sense of I that is balanced with a sense of we, and where that sense of we includes other people as well as other uh, plants, animals, and beings. Um, those are stories that I'm really, really passionate about. One of the driving quotes, um, the founding quotes of the book I'm writing right now um, came from a dream and in this dream, uh, this wise woman named Sophia, I was on another planet with her, and she said, uh, the civilizing impulse of true humans is to harmonize the forces of nature. Not to harmonize with, but to harmonize the forces of nature. And I think that's a really good story for what humans are for. So I could go on and on about this one because I, it's a place I focus a lot, but I think I really appreciate the question. And I think each person also gets to re-examine their stories relative to race, relative to gender, relative to sexuality, relative to indigeneity and relative to resource and ownership and reputation, which are all currencies that we trade hierarchically currently in our culture, none of which is working very well for us. You just gave us a little glimpse of what it might feel like if we didn't feel the fractured information ecology. If I didn't feel confused on purpose or pitted against another human being on purpose or for or against something all the time. These, these, these telling stories about these larger things in these larger contexts, which changes my relationship to competition or, or being in harmony or being a harmonizer. Um, I can, I can feel in me a sense of uh, relief and relaxation. Uh, and uh, I think we all could use that. 
like we all use a, a context to live from in which we uh, were at ease and um, recognized and powerful. So thank you for that brief vision. We could, we'll do another one of these. We'll dive into that much deeper. Uh, Rachel, uh, take us home. What are we gonna sum up here and what, what little extra bits do you have to add? Yeah, thanks, Michael. It's been really great to spend time with you guys today. I think for me, one of the biggest pieces that I'd like to leave our friends with that are tuning in is that when we are looking at what makes sense and what is ours to do and create and be and become and all of these like really big concepts, it's also really important to not know. Hmm and to keep asking the questions. And I think that when we come to a resolution without a deeper level of inquiry, it creates more divisiveness. And so like lending passionate curiosity and that when we go into the exploration of other narratives, as we continue to make sense of reality that we visit opposing views as an honored guest and not from a place of confliction or, um, or opposition even, but just a respectful guest into a thought that we can take into our bag of um, information that we can begin to sort in some way in compassionate um, means. And, but I feel like even the highest heights of our technological capacities are just training wheels for what we're actually capable of when we truly come into unison with each other and reach our evolutionary potential. And I had this thought a few days ago that, that new life lives, but I also have a really good feeling that new life also gives. And in this new life experience that we're all in the same boat for the first time ever collectively, I think it's really important for us to come from a space of giving way more than we uh, extract into whatever situation that we're in, whatever environment, whatever choice that we make, and that we come into it knowing that each of those incremental steps will lead to a giant revelation of our collective thriving. Wow. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Samantha. Uh, and uh, for those of you in the audience, uh, look for us again with more conversations on how to generate a thriving future for the planet and for humanity. The Boldly Now Show, igniting the world of burning desire, big ideas, and bold action. Be sure to download Boldly You in the App Store, Google Play, or online at bold.ly forward slash Y-O-U. Boldly You is an app and learning platform igniting your burning desire, big ideas, and bold action, generating a future for a thriving humanity.